0: Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Jeff Bajoric. He's a consultant, author, podcast host, and salesman at Parabola Consulting. All right, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> so, you know, we, we connected because Mike uh, Weinberg had such nice things to say about you, and uh, he definitely recommended you, and I'm, I'm really glad we connected.
1: Well, I'm going to have to have some words with Mike. Uh, he keeps doing that.
0: Um, (laughs) you
1: (laughs) You know, it's the lifeblood of small business, right? Is, is referrals. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you are just getting ready to get started and you know, you have a great idea and you might have a couple of customers that, that really think you have a great idea too. And maybe they love doing business with you. It's the best way to get started because now you got to get into this world of marketing and how do I promote this thing? And how do I spread and grow and scale and, and scale is another thing altogether. I don't even know if I wanted to use that word, but I, you know, how do I, how do I do this for more people? And one of the best places to go are the people who already know the work that you do and the, the people who, you know, have a feeling for what you bring to the table, the, the, the little bit of the magic that you bring, because it's really hard to identify that stuff yourself, you're too close to it sometimes you need an outside point of view to say, "You know what? you're really good at this, and I've never heard anybody say it like that before. So sometimes your friends, even your relatives, you know but but colleagues of yours are sometimes your biggest uh, they're, they're your biggest fans, and they're the most willing to help, and I think that source gets overlooked too much.
0: Wonderful, that makes a lot of sense. Now speaking about source, you started in sports medicine. And I, I, I kind of come from a human Connects background and I kind of migrated uh-huh. to marketing, but sports medicine, t- walk me through that.
1: Oh, what's so weird about that? <laughs> <I> <laughs> you know, know, I got my start as a certified athletic trainer. I went to college, got a degree in sports medicine. I have an athletic background myself. Mm-hmm. Had to make the choice in college, you, you know, how I was going to be connected to sports. Right. And, and I remember I tried to walk onto the baseball team at Central Michigan University. I didn't think I had a shot to make it, but that's the thing you got to do, right? And I could have played club ball for them, but I wanted to go out for the varsity team. And uh, the third day of practice was a Wednesday afternoon, and it conflicted with my human anatomy lab. So I missed practice, and I saw that my human anatomy lab was every Wednesday, right when practice would be for that semester. And I was like, you know what, Jeff? You're gonna have to make a big boy decision here real quick. I know you're only 17 years old, but you're gonna have to make a a big boy decision here. And it was pretty clear. I didn't go to college to play baseball. I went to college to hopefully learn how to keep baseball players healthy. And I made that decision, went through, had a, a brilliant but brief college career. It was, you know, I got I got in and out in four years, which a lot of people don't do in that that particular major. And I got what I thought was a great job. And it was a great job. After a couple of years, it became clear that it wasn't a perfect job. And so it was interesting. I I knew I was good at what I wanted. I knew I was good at what I did. Um, I wanted to keep doing it. But I'll spare 10 minutes of the story here. Because of a commitment to the school, the high school that had contracted me for athletic training services from the hospital, I gave the hospital three months' notice. I said, I'm not going back in the fall. You're going to need to find my replacement. Here's my letter of resignation so you can look for somebody, but I'm not coming back in the fall. Mm. And so everybody around me said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. It's too early to look for a job, right? Like I, I know there are jobs out there. I know I'm good. I've got good references. Like I've got a pretty good reputation. We're going to be okay. It's just not time to even think about that yet. And there's a woman, she'd, she'd been in the industry a long time. And she sat next to me and she said, Jeff, why don't you get into sales? I said, come on. <laughs> and there was another colleague of ours that had just left the hospital to get into sales. And he had that archetypal, archetypical, I think is the right way to say that word, sales persona. And he's done really, really well. i would run into him. We actually competed against each other after a little while, but I run into him every once in a while and see, see how he was doing. And he's done well. I knew he would do well. But I said, Rose, that's not me. And she said, here's the deal. I think you could be really good at this. You got nothing better to do. Dust off your resume. I got you an interview and go talk to this guy. I said, okay, so go through the interview process, It became pretty clear that this was going to be the direction that I was going to go in. And I looked at it as an opportunity. And I said, look, if I hate this after a year, I'll stop. I'm good at what I do. I can come back, but there's not a whole lot of risk in this. And Hey, maybe I'll even learn something. I get the offer. And the guy that hired me is his name is Ken. So that, that's what we'll call him. And I said, Ken, I appreciate the offer here, but I don't know if, I don't know if I'm your guy. I don't know a whole lot about business and things. He said, look, here's the deal. And this is something I've never forgotten. He says, Jeff, I know you to be a good person. I know you to speak the language. I know you to work hard. And I know you're a smart guy that'll figure things out. And I've talked to the people that you work with right now who will be your customers. And they all told me to hire you. So I can teach you the rest. The rest is is not as big of a deal as you thought. And then it's changed the way I look at a sales career ever since that day. That was beginning of August, 2004. I went into a career selling medical devices, particularly to orthopedic surgeons. So it was very near and dear. I, I mean, sure. it was in, in medicine. So worked in that position for a little, just under four years, and then left and took another position with another company where I had an opportunity to try some of the things that I really wanted to, but didn't think I could, because I was just kind of set in my ways. Did that for a little over seven years with another company. was very, very successful because it turns out my intuitions were good. And almost six years ago, I decided to go do something crazy and start my own business, helping salespeople figure out the right way for them to sell. And that leads us here. <laughs> so then you uh, called me and, <laughs> and here we are.
0: Here we are. You said the right way for them to sell. That's a very interesting
1: concept. Can you sort of unpack that a bit more? Oh, um. There are, oh, I'm trying, yes, I'd be happy to unpack that. Trying to think about the best way to unpack sure. that. Sure.
0: How, how do you sell then? Start there.
1: I approach selling a little bit differently than some other people do. I grew up in a family that didn't really trust salespeople I and mean, even salespeople in our family. They're like, yeah, he does. He's pretty good at it. But, you know, it's that, that guy, right? You know. <laughs> and, and so it was not culturally something that was comfortable for me, but when I dug in a little bit more, when people kept saying that there was always something intriguing about it, right? So it's, it's beyond the lifestyle and everything else, but it's just, you think about all the things that we buy and you think about the reasons that we buy and you think about all the people trying to sell us stuff and buyer's remorse is something I still struggle with sometimes. And, And so there's, but to me, there were people succeeding at it. And there were people who do really well with it that that don't leave people with a bad taste in their mouth. This is clearly a a problem with the solution, really several solutions, but there's, there's a solution to the, to this. And it was just kind of intriguing. And really it felt like, as I mentioned, kind of a risk-free opportunity. And in that first year before I almost quit, I learned a lot that got me more and more intrigued. And by doing a lot of self-study, reading a lot of books, a lot of audio programs and, and things and, and hearing the experts, the greats kind of define what selling is. I'm, I heard Brian Tracy refer to selling as a transfer of enthusiasm from one party to another. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, there's way more going on here than mm-hmm. I'm going to give you this and you're going to give me money. Right. And I take that even further now. And, and I think that selling is really the way you treat everybody. It's, it's a way that you interact with other people to help them solve problems that they can't without you or help them solve problems that hopefully they wouldn't solve as effectively as they could if it weren't for you helping. And I'm a problem solver. I've always been a problem solver. And, and so for me to take what I learned about working with people, because athletes are fickle, right? And when working with athletes and their parents and you know all, all these other things, like. You think about the way you interact with people, when you think about selling as a transfer of enthusiasm, really becomes a sociology experiment more than just a transfer of cash for a good or a service. And I'm fascinated by that. So when when I think about the way I define selling and I think about the way you solve problems, selling for me is really taking a solution to somebody. And I believe that you need to be proactive about this as often as possible. You take a solution to somebody to help them in a way they don't know that they can be helped. Mm. And in that manner, you open up a world of possibilities for people that don't know they're even there. And the results when you can do that are so spectacular. It makes you want to do it again.
0: Yeah. So you're probably hinting on, you know, not focusing on the price, right? Every salesperson, I lower the price. Just digging in and trying to figure out what could really make a difference in, in your prospect's life.
1: As a whole. Let me give you a little insight into my psychosis. Okay. I think when someone tells you that the price is too high, that it's a buying signal. That's where I go with this. Because when you say to me, say Jeff, this that's too much way too much. I can't afford that. I don't I I don't want to pay that. Well, you had to you had to expel some kind of effort to tell me that, right? You had to proactively tell me, which means you could have just ignored it. And some people have done that. Okay. And it's not a buying signal because you didn't tell me it costs too much. But when you tell me it costs too much, it means you want to buy it. You just don't want to pay that. Now we might be on to something. Okay. And that means it's my turn. That means it's my job now to help you understand the value. And that value is more than just a return on investment. But that's my opportunity to help you understand Mm -hmm. why that price exists. I love selling at a higher price. I love that opportunity when to, to sit in front of someone or even over a, a video call like this and have them sit back in their seat and say, whoa, any reaction is something worth paying attention to and not from a manipulative standpoint. I'm not, I don't manipulate anybody. I have worked very hard to eliminate the word "convince" from my vocabulary. That's not the right word. To, that's not the right word to describe what it is that we do. But when I get a visceral reaction out of somebody, I know that I'm onto something. And that means that I need to do a better job at that point or just more of a job at that point of digging into what, where that reaction came from. How important is it for this problem to be solved? And look, in some cases, the initial price is just out of whack. It's that's, well, that's really not feasible. Yeah, we have all the interest in the world, but it's just really not feasible. Okay, well, if you have the interest in the world, let's, let's put something together. And I don't just knock my price down and say, well, yeah, I'll do it for 10% less. There's always like, okay, well, if you need to stay below a certain level, well, then that's what an, this is what an engagement could look like at that particular price point, right? So it's discount is a four letter word in, in my, in my house. Yes, I know I can count. There's more than four letters in it, but it just, I love that interaction and, and never set out. I don't want to take advantage of anybody. But I actually, from a price standpoint, I want it to sting a little bit because you pay attention to what you pay for. Yeah. And if someone is just a little, not so uncomfortable that they're afraid to do the work, but when they're just a little uncomfortable, you know, they're going to do the work. Yeah. I know I'm going to show up every day and do the work when the clients don't get the results that they're looking for. It's because they didn't. And I want to set the table so that they do and are engaged and are as interested in doing the work as I am in helping them do the work. That's when magic happens.
0: No, mm. oh, that's a very good point. Now, I listened to one of your episodes that you did, the short clip you did. And I really like what you said about building a personal brand versus, you know, generating followers. Mm. Can you sort of explain
1: that a bit? Yeah, I think there are... The, the, the term personal brand is thrown about like crazy, right? Everybody's talking about building their personal brand and the people who have the loudest voices when it comes to building your personal brand tend to also have the biggest followings. One doesn't necessarily lead to another, but they're pretty closely related. And I think when you look at someone who's got a bigger following than most and you hear them talking about a personal brand, it's really easy to fall into the trap that, oh, they must mean I need all these followers. My personal brand is the number of followers that I have. What is your personal brand? It's your online reputation is what it is. So do you have things worth saying that you think of yourself? Are you sharing things that are worth saying from other people? When people look you up, right? Go to your favorite search engine, And or go to LinkedIn or go, you know, wherever and just type in your name. What do you find? It's it's better if you open like an incognito tab, right? Because then they don't have your preferences loaded, right? It's as if someone, a random person, right? A, A generic person were searching you. What do you find? If you don't like it, then fix it. That's your personal brand. Now, on the other hand, when you confuse a personal brand with a following, you get enticed into growing a following which not everybody knows how to do not everybody is capable of and quite frankly not everybody should be doing everybody's got a personal brand even if you don't have one technically or you know effectively then your personal brand is one of anonymity and that's not a good personal brand but if you are trying to develop a, a following sometimes you end up spending a lot of time on some some processes and some activities that don't help you do your actual job, Mm. right? Your personal brand should reflect you as what you stand for, what you believe in, the kind of work that you do, the kind of products that you represent, the kind of people you work with and want to work with. I should be able to look at your last 10 tweets and know something about you. I should be able to look at your last three LinkedIn articles that you wrote or that you shared. And I should be able to gain a little bit of insight to how you think You have one whether you want to or not, because you leave a digital trail. Everybody does. So, the question about personal branding is do you like the way you are represented when you're not around? Whereas developing a following a lot of times means chasing a bunch of likes, comments, and vanity metrics that may or may not help you do your job. Only you can decide whether or not that will help you do your job. Yeah, for sure.
0: I think sometimes it's, I see people, Chasing trending keywords and stuffing them into what they say, and I don't know for me, I just can't sustain that and mm-hmm. and don't don't find that effective. so it was it was really nice to, to hear you say
1: that. Yeah, I don't speak keyword. If someone wants to go behind me and take my work and say, "You know what, Jeff, if you just said it this way instead of this way, then okay, maybe, maybe. sure. If that helps the message reach more people, then okay, but don't take my words as an SEO specialist and then mix them all around. So it doesn't sound like me anymore. Now we're missing the point because again, it gets back to personal brand. Are you a keyword jockey or do you actually have some initial or or some original thoughts that make you sound like someone worth talking to? Right. And, and I'd much rather have people get an accurate picture of me when they find me, than try to put an in genuine version of myself out there. So more people can find it. I mean, like more people finding what they think is me. And then when they meet me being disappointed, like I don't see that as being successful.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. So let's say you have a, a sales team and they're doing okay, but you don't have a formal training program mm-hmm. and you try and design a formal training program. What steps do you need to take? And what does that final program roughly look like in terms of sort of the steps and meetings or the support?
1: Well, chances are, if you are, if you've got a company and you're looking to get bigger, so you're looking to build a sales team, you just don't have the processes in place. I think you need to spend some time with the people who brought on those customers initially. Sometimes this is problematic because it's a founder who's just brought a bunch of relationships over with her. And all of a sudden she's just got some close relationships that did business with her. and, And there's really not a definable sales process there. So that can be tricky at times, but think about what it took to get those customers on board. There's typically a rough set of steps. It's typically four or five steps. Sometimes it's longer if it's a more technical sale, but I think there's typically four or five steps, whether it's, you know, from introduction to getting their attention to conveying your value in a meeting one way or another. And maybe you need a couple of meetings because you have some things to discuss. And then at some point it says, Hey, are we ready to do this? Right? So the sales cycle itself, I believe only has really four steps. You introduce yourself, right? You, you identify who your target is. You get their attention, you communicate their value and you move on and, and you close the business. It's really only four steps. There are a lot of s- smaller steps within those categories. And that's where the, that's where things change depending on the, the product or the service that you're selling. But I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called the five forgotten fundamentals of prospecting. And mm-hmm. I cover that. I cover this in, in that book, step one or forgotten fundamental number one is know what you bring to the table. So what makes you different? What makes you valuable? And why does that matter? So what is the problem you solve? And how is it different from the other people trying to solve similar problems? Number two is know who you should be talking to. Who are those people or those companies with those problems? That's really where a lot of your mental work, a lot of your homework, a lot of your brainstorming, a lot of your you know, kind of team meeting stuff, that's where that time should be spent is who are we? How do we help people? And who are those people that we help? And you start to get your messaging in that in that phase of your your planning, fundamentals three and four are create tension in the sales process because tension is a stimulus to act. It is not necessarily discomfort. It's just knowing that there's something on the other side of this, and it bugs me that I'm not doing it yet. How do we get from here to there? Okay, and then number four is demonstrate expertise. Again, when you prospect, you have to be known as someone worth talking to with something worth talking about, and so when you have this personal brand as being an expert with these types of problems, then when you create tension, when you create this, just this feeling of dissatisfaction that I could be better off if only, well, you want to be the answer to that. If only, if only I worked with, enter your own name here, right? That's where the expertise comes on. I have some place as a prospect that I want to get to, that something that I want to accomplish. Is this person that one to help me get there, you want the answer to that question to be yes. So that's really about the communicating value and asking for next steps um, portion of the sales process. And then the forgotten fundamental number five is keep your swagger. If you don't recognize that you're not gonna win every time, right? You're gonna be in trouble. If you don't recognize that sometimes you're gonna lose, even though you did everything perfectly, you're gonna be in trouble. You gotta remember that the adversity is there that it serves a purpose because it is designed to teach us things. Friction is required for polish and that the adversity is part of the journey. And Mm. that it's, there are going to be bumps in the road and the better you are at navigating those bumps in the road, the better you will be through them, right? The the more easily you'll be able to overcome them. And I I remind people that the mountain of success has no summit and anybody who's climbed him, Anybody who's climbed those mountains will tell you that there is no top. You get through the the cloud layer and you look and, well, there's another 3,000 feet I got to climb, right? And then you get through the cloud layer again. The only way you can really judge your success is by turning around, looking behind you and seeing how far you've climbed. So you Mm. have to judge your own success, not by when you're going to get there, but by how far you've come. And you recognize how far you've come by the adversity you've been able to overcome. And so accept adversity as part of the process, lean into it, don't run away from it, and be hell-bent on learning something from it. Mm-hmm. So oh, those are my five forgotten Interesting. fundamentals.
0: Interesting. So I'm, I'm listening to those points. What comes to mind when I listen to those points is knowing your own value, knowing mm-hmm. the value of the company, knowing the value of the solution and the problems that you can solve for you. going to just... Just having sort of clarity and unwavering confidence so that you don't start reacting tactically on something when one thing goes wrong. Is, is that kind of the feel?
1: I had a client define swagger as impenetrable confidence. So, almost exactly what you said there. And I owe her a commission now that I said that on a podcast. But <laughs> the, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Look, this isn't easy, but that's why you do it. You don't do it because it's easy, you do it because it's worthwhile. And when you stand in the value, and I love the way you said that, standing in the value that you, your company and your solution provide, that's when you lean in when someone says, you cost too much. You wanna bet I cost too much? You are hurting yourself by underinvesting if you don't appreciate, look, if you just don't appreciate what we bring because that is not the right solution, I'll accept that. And maybe my solution is more than you'd like to pay and that's a reason you're willing to look elsewhere. That's fine but my solution does not cost too much. My solution brings value and outcomes that nobody else can. Dare you to tell me that costs too much, (laughs) right? I'd rather you tell me that you don't want what I can do for you. Yeah. Don't tell me I cost too much. Because if you tell me I cost too much, means that you don't completely understand what I will do for you. And that is the attitude that more salespeople, more business owners need to have. They need to be so steadfast. In what they do, and how they help, that they're wondering why they're not charging more. <laughs> I love that.
0: I love that. Now, if you had to start over, you've obviously gone mm-hmm. along this path, and you've learned a lot of things. If you went back and gave yourself advice, what would that advice
1: be? Trust yourself. I probably look for too much external validation. Still, I certainly did. I'm back in, in my younger selling days. I'm someone who thrives on recognition. I remember, I I like to tell this story. There were, I was with a company maybe a year, year and a half, and I hit five out of my first six quarters or something. And the, the one I missed wasn't by much. And I got a note, a handwritten note from the vice president and with a $20 Starbucks card in it or something, right? That lasted probably 10 days, right? But that handwritten note that said, hey, I see what you're doing. I appreciate it. Keep going. That was on my bulletin board for two years. Like just the, the little things. Right. And, and that guy to this day, I mean, he left the company before I did and we've both gone in multiple different ways. He still comes up to Michigan every year. He's got family up here and I'll drive a couple hours to, to go see him, hang out have, have lunch and a, a beer together and just kind of reconnect and like that's how relationships are formed, right? When you look, can look someone in the eye figuratively or literally and say, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing. That goes a long way with me. I think it goes a long way with a lot of people, but to the point where, you know, when I go back to what I would recommend to my younger self is it's a good thing to take that when you get it, but one, make sure you believe it. And two, accept the fact that it's not going to come as often as you'd like it to, and you got to push through right? Wonderful. That's, yeah, that's, that's where I'll go with that. It's great.
0: Any last words, anything I didn't cover mm. or anything you want to pass on to the audience? Here's your free swing using a, a baseball metaphor.
1: <sighs> mm. well, how long do we have? <laughs> um, I love talking about this stuff and I really appreciate you having me on to give me an opportunity to talk about it with a, a new person, a new audience listening and, and, Every one of these opportunities and every one of these conversations is unique and genuine. And I I really do appreciate that. Given the timing of of everything right now, there's something that came up with a client when I was having a conversation earlier that I think will help everybody right now. And it's, it's actually, I've been helping clients through the pandemic with this specifically, and it's been really helpful, actually more helpful than I thought it would be. Right now, sales cycles are still taking longer than they used to. They're probably taking longer than they should. But that doesn't mean that they're going to shorten up anytime soon. There's still uncertainty, which means people don't know what their best move is, which means that they're thinking harder, they're thinking more often, really deciding what the right move is. So accept that sales cycles are 20 to 30% longer. And just because you have not seen the results that you want yet in terms of bringing in additional revenue, make sure that you're still able to show progress. If you're a rep that has a manager that's breathing down his neck right now, if you can't show results, make sure you can show progress. Make sure that you can legitimately go to your manager and say, look, I'm doing everything I can right now. This feels like I can't move any further. I have racked my brain. I have called colleagues. I've been on the message boards. Like, I'm doing everything I can. It doesn't feel like I can do any more. Show me what I'm missing. Please show me what I'm missing because I really want to do a great job here. If you can show progress, sometimes that's all you can show. Don't worry that you can't show results yet. And if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner and you just don't know why it's not happening for you yet, remind yourself of what you know to be true and ask yourself, look, have I done everything I can? Have I moved these deals? Have I, have I asked the right questions? Have I asked the next steps, right? Are people, read, are, are people committing to buy but just aren't ready yet? You have to change your perspective right now because these are unprecedented times. You have to ask yourself, if you've done everything you can do, if you've done everything that you can do, it's enough. If you haven't done everything that you can do, well, then you know you have work to do. But just because, just because it might not be the number that you thought it was going to be, that was arbitrary. How do you know that that was the right target to hit, right? And, and I had a couple of clients last summer that just said, Jeff, thank you for helping us continue to move forward. It took us, it took us 120 days instead of 90 days to close these deals. But wow, once we saw that our perspective changed and now we've got some momentum ready to pull the plug 30 days ago. Now they've got game changing momentum that they've never, ever seen before in their business. It's like, all that is is that switch between have I actually done everything I can do? And was the enough number arbitrary? That's, That's a question there aren't enough people asking themselves right now.
0: Wow, great way to end it off. Great advice, and thank you for taking the time.
1: Oh, appreciate it. This this was fun.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also, want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.